Hello and welcome once again to episode 24 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Ben. Hi, hi. And Spencer. Hey. So a quick reminder that last week we launched a community we are calling the Code Completion Club uh, that we would love everyone for everyone to join. Uh, we hope that this can be a great place to talk with us and other listeners about iOS and Mac development, help each other out, and share the cool things you make or come across. We are all, uh, all are welcome, uh, and it's completely free to join, so please head over to codecompletion.io slash join the club, all one word. Uh, so that's codecompletion.io slash join the club. It's hosted on a new chatting app called Quill, which is like Slack, but better in almost every way. Uh, so we hope to see you there. Um, so on the topic of Quill, how do you both like it? I think it's basically, like you said, it's kind of like Slack, but better. Um, what's really nice about it is it seems like they're committed to uh, as native as they can get as far as the development. Um, and so it works. I, I have obviously a Mac and an, and an iPhone, but um, on at least on those two platforms, it works really well. It feels more like a quote unquote real app um, and uh and I, I like it. It's got some cool features. It's got um, things like threaded. Uh, you can have like sort of these threaded messages and stuff that you can't quite as easily do in, in Slack. So uh, we'll have to see as our community grows kind of where it goes from there. Yeah, and you can really reorganize those threads, which is really, really neat. Yeah. Yeah, that's Spend something that we've we've done is, you know, because I think we're all used to Slack, uh, we'll, you know, begin to just start writing messages in kind of the main place uh but then you can actually turn something into a thread like a, a group of messages throw them into a thread kind of after the fact which has been really cool in, in kind of our personal one just to like keep everything you know very uh sort of tightly organized um like ben said i i've really enjoyed it because i feel like the design language itself is very uh natural like in mac os it looks like mac os uh in the ios app it feels very uh you know latest kind of current um ios design uh you know following the human interface guidelines basically uh so that's pretty cool um it's it's good we you know just really launched it um today basically at the day of recording so you know uh this this code completion club is is new and we want to get you know a bunch of people on there so that uh it can really become a community and you know foster uh some growth and discussion and uh you know friendships and you know just kind of make a healthy community like like dimitri is always saying so really you know go ahead and check it out it's free and if anything just come and, and check out quill uh just to try it out as an app and see you know how much better Slack could be because we all think that and, you know, someone's coming along to actually prove that it's possible. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm on one Slack team and just as you're saying, Spencer, it's so easy to just dump all your messages in the main channel. Um, and on that Slack team, they have a, a thread, a custom thread emoji that just jiggles a lot and just threading intensifies. Uh, and that's whenever people don't <laughs> use threading properly, they just spam that on every message and the yeah. message gets across and people start deleting and then retyping their message under a thread. Right. Uh, but it's it's definitely really nice to just be able to reorganize and kind of tailor everything such that uh, things are nice and neat 
um, and easy to find afterwards because ultimately, um, like documenting your code, there's no point to having a lot of these discussions if you can't find it afterwards because then you just re-rinse the same discussion over and over again. Um, and that's helpful to no one. Um, so yeah, we hope you, we'll find you there. Uh, we've already started some uh, very brief discussions of saying hello. Um, no one's had any uh, problems or questions uh, or uh, answers yet. Uh, so we hope in the coming weeks uh, that grows and we'll see you there. So before we get into our main topic, uh, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Spencer? Yeah, so uh, I am going to do it this week. Fernando is out. So um, we've got uh, three apps to look at. Sorry, I'm just going to pull them up here. Um, the first one is called Highlighted uh, by, sorry if I pronounced the name wrong, uh, Demir Stuhek. Um, it's a really cool app that actually I, I have to say before I go into all three of these apps, uh, they all are really well made. The UI is awesome on all of them. It makes me really jealous because the uh, again, it's very like right now current Apple human interface guidelines. It all looks very very good. Uh, I would assume that a lot of these are using Swift UI. If not, then they just have spent a fair amount of time um, going into uh, and really kind of polishing the UI. So um, the first app is called Highlight. Um, Basically, what it is is an app where you can kind of uh, keep track of your books, and uh, it's a little bit unlike the last uh, episode's book app, where um, it's not just for tracking books, but you say, "Okay, I'm reading, you know, this book," um, and then what it lets you do is you can use your phone to take a picture of some uh, passage in there that you want to highlight, and it actually uses OCR or optical uh, character recognition to, you know, take that photo that you take of the page and translate it into text that you could, you know, copy and paste anywhere you want to. Uh, and also you're able to uh, search through things and kind of keep everything organized by, um, you know, by the book that you're working on. You can export all of those highlights. So it's kind of a really cool way if you, um, you know, like using physical books or I even tried it, of course, on my Kindle and it worked just fine. Uh, but if you want to also have sort of some uh, digital notes as well, it's kind of a cool way to do that. So that, that's the first app. Uh, definitely go and check it out if you're into highlighting. Um, I know that for myself, whenever I highlight books, I usually do it with a pen uh, and a ruler. But this is actually really nice. And, uh, you know, I might start doing that as well. Um, the next one is called, um, pro wrestling simulator 2021. And I will be completely honest. I haven't spent a ton of time with this app. I, you know, I spent about 10 minutes with each app. Um, this one is by James Said. Uh, again, sorry if I mispronounced your name. Um, but I was kind of looking, reading through, you know, what it is and it's sort of, you're able to simulate an entire sort of tournament of wrestling and everything and um i i stumbled across a couple uh reddit posts of like hey is there any app like this game from like 2004 i think it was um and people were like no no and so i saw that this you know this was kind of a recommendation i believe this app just came out uh in january so it's fairly new but uh he's i i noticed he already had like 175 reviews on his app um, again, the UI is awesome. It is uh, sort of, uh, more, it's very text-based and I suppose that's what that kind of original version was. So if you, 
I think it was, uh, let me look it up real quick. The, the acronym that it was called the original game. Uh, I had it here. Sorry to kind of be long here. Through the magic of editing. I know, right? <laughs> and of course, now I can't find it. Anyway, it's a really cool app. Um, even if I don't completely understand, you know, it fully, if you, if that's something that you were looking for, for, you know, making the, the bracketing and having it kind of come up with the results, it was a really cool app to look at. Um, and then Replica by, I believe you pronounce it, Tiago Martinho. Uh, it sounds like it's Portuguese. Um, is called Replica. So if you have ever used AirPlay, you know, you can AirPlay your screen to your Apple TV or whatever. Uh, this is essentially AirPlay, but for your uh, Chromecast, or I believe it also works on a browser. Um, and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I haven't ever seen anything like this. I know that you there are apps with sort of quote-unquote native support for um, for um, being able to, you know, cast like YouTube, for example, to your Chromecast, but this one actually lets you cast your entire screen. It actually does a screen recording and will sort of stream that as you're running the app, so it's not just locked into uh, apps that are, you know, compatible with Chromecast. It would work on anything just like you can AirPlay your entire screen. Uh, to Air AirPlay compatible devices. So I thought that was really cool and I haven't ever seen anything like that. Um, so go check that out. Uh, it worked great on my Chromecast. He's got a bunch of settings where you can change it to kind of favor uh, quality if you're going to watch a video or uh, speed uh, with a little less quality if you're if you're worried about latency, maybe if you wanted to, uh, you know, cast your screen, uh, you're playing a game or something. So Go check it out. He's done really good work. And again, all of these apps have got some killer UI that makes me jealous. So um, those are our indie app spotlights for the week. Feel free to um, send us uh, your your app ideas. We've got a long list at this point, but we'd love to hear from you and highlight your app eventually. Awesome. Thank you, Spencer. Um, so on to our main topic, uh, and that is going to be the recent rumors we've been hearing about. Um, so... At the very beginning of the month, uh, there was rumors that we're going to have an early March event, and then a mid-March event, and then a late March event. Uh, and then at the very end of March, it doesn't look like we're going to get an event after all. Um, but there are still tons of rumors. There's the new uh, betas that are coming out, and these betas seem like they have a lot of new features, which typically coincides with new hardware of some sort, um, like those those big feature releases, those big point releases, I should say, tend to come at the same time as new hardware um, and one to one capacity or another. Um, and as a result, they tend to leak a lot of extra stuff. So uh, we tend to be able to discern more out of them um, than others. Uh, so one of those first rumors, or not, not so much a rumor, but actually like a big change uh, is on the Apple TV uh, the Siri remote is no longer being referred to as the, Apple, the Siri remote. It's now the Apple TV remote, which makes you wonder if they're coming out with a new Apple TV. Uh, so, Ben, what would you like most out of a new Apple TV? Oh, boy. Uh, well, I think probably a new remote, right? <laughs> that would be really great. Um, at this point, uh, one of our Apple TV remotes is cracked because it's made of glass on the top, which I feel like is a very... <laughs> 
interesting choice for a remote, something you're going to <laughs> yeah. throw around on the couch and, you know, potentially have kids playing with and whatever. Um, so we, I haven't bothered to replace it because, for one thing, I'd like to just replace the whole Apple TV with a newer one, uh, you know, but I'm not going to do that at this point because we're... I don't know what the day count is, but we're pretty far away from the last time that the Apple TV was updated, uh, and that's generally not a great time to be buying such a product because uh, usually you buy it, and then the next day they announce a new one. Um, so, But I think a new remote, ideally a remote that looks less like a candy bar and more like a human's hand would be fantastic. Um, not only is it... Uh, is it small and fragile, but it's also uh, it's also basically symmetrical in the sense that without looking at it, you can't really tell whether you're you're holding it right side up or upside down. Um, and in yeah. particular, because it has what like a third of it, I think, is a touchscreen as a touchpad. If you're holding it upside down, you end up sort of with the like the palm of your hand sort of touching that area and then affecting the screen, right? Moving the cursor around and stuff, doing stuff that you don't intend to do. It's it's by accident because you're holding it backwards. Um, and so there's just a lot of sort of ergonomic problems with the remote that lots and lots of podcasts and articles have talked about sort of ad nauseum about how it could be improved, that it looks pretty when it's like sitting on your coffee table, right, as a piece of art, but it doesn't really work that well as a device uh, and as an, in, as an input mechanism. So uh, that would be definitely top of my, of my list. I don't really have any major problems with the UI or kind of how the Apple TV works. I don't have, just for the record, I don't have a Chromecast. I don't have an Amazon Fire Stick. I don't, I've never even used any of those other systems. So, you know, if they're better in various ways, I don't know if they're better. Um, I can't speak to that. But for me, the Apple TV interface, I think, is fine. It, it lets us get to, you know, all the stuff they want to get to, all the streaming services. Um, and the TV app works well enough to sort of, generally highlight the stuff that you might be watching in other apps as long as those apps participate and so you can kind of go there for i probably go there for i don't know half or more of what we're kind of watching if we're watching a tv show or something uh more than half the time i'll probably end up in the tv app and i just you, know, you can find the next episode and click it and it just jumps you right into the appropriate streaming app and then starts playing it so um i don't really have any problems with with the ui uh but i can say that i that i am a i am generally a fan of it um, not just because of that it's part of the Apple ecosystem, but also, you know, the AirPlay is nice if you're going to AirPlay something from your from your phone or your iPad. Um, and also, in general, I like Apple's privacy policies better than lots of those other, other companies. Uh, and in particular, we're looking at maybe upgrading to a new TV. We have 1080p, two 1080p TVs, and we're looking at maybe upgrading one of them to a 4K. Um, but uh, I would love to get a new Apple TV to go along with that. Um, and I'm certainly not going to connect that TV to the internet. It's going to maybe connect like once over Ethernet to get a firmware update, and then I'm not plugging it into the internet because I don't, I don't trust the TV companies at all to be good stewards of my information. Uh, in fact, they've shown to do things like like watch the TV screen at all times, so they can, no matter what you're watching, they can figure out what it is that you're watching and then report that back to you know whoever, right, Toshiba or whoever made your TV. Which they don't need any of that information, so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to give it to them. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of the streaming box, and I am a big fan of Apple's incarnation in particular. Um, but I do think that it probably could use like a you know a general refresh of the UI as long as they don't screw it up. I mean, the downside of doing it a lot is you end up with the Xbox syndrome. If any of you all have an Xbox, you know that like 
seemingly every couple of months, you'll open your, you turn your Xbox on and you're like, oh, an entirely new UI for the menu that I now have to figure out how to, how to use that is <laughs> in no way related to the UI they used three months ago. And so now I have to like learn a whole new design language to navigate, to get through my games and whatever. Um, so I think that's, you know, stability is, is a good thing in this case, right? You open it, it does what you want. Uh, but probably sort of to boil it all down, biggest thing for me would be a remote that, uh, that works. Maybe just give me a D-pad or like a, or, you know, arrow, arrow buttons and an OK button and a play button and you can kind of dump the rest. Like I don't, we don't really use the Siri functionality very much because um, it often doesn't even get what we say correct anyway. Um, so yeah, I would say make it fit my hand, dump the touchpad, give me a D-pad and I'll be good. It's funny you mentioned the TV app keeping track of what you're watching because the only time I get new notifications of like new episodes are available is mm -hmm. after I watch the episode of the thing that becomes available. Uh, nice. So I hardly ever use the TV app because I'm already like on top of uh, the hypothetical uh, thing. One thing I would yeah. love to see from the TV app though is like upcoming, like mm -hmm. if it can mm -hmm. guesstimate like at what time mm -hmm. a new episode will come on and I could see that in some sort of schedule, that would be awesome. Because then a TV I guide, to, if like, you will. Yeah, well, that's crazy talk. Um, <laughs> Impossible. Yeah. Uh, but that way, I don't have to keep in my head, and it's one less right. thing to kind of think about. Uh, Spencer, how would you? Uh, what wishes do you have for the Apple TV? Yes, uh, good that you mentioned wishes because I think this would never happen. <laughs> but like Ben, I think the Apple TV is basically perfect for what it is. It works great. I agree that the remote is probably the most uh, controversial part of it. Other than that, it's great and, you know, um, does everything I need it to. I would say as, as a realistic guess, they'll preemptively jump to 8K because there are now 8K TVs that are slowly coming out. So I can see them just saying, hey, we support 8K. Great. Um, all of the, you know, HDMI specs are out and available, you know, the Xboxes, uh, PS5 all support 8K. So it, it's getting there. I can see them doing that um, as a, sort of a wish. Um, I often have more than one device connected to my TV, uh, like my Apple TV, like my Switch. Uh, so and switching between inputs is always a pain because I can't use my TV or my Apple TV remote. I would love if they would do a sort of multi-port Apple TV mm. that lets you pass through because I use a separate box for that and one, it costs money and two, it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just probably not mediocre at best, I would guess, right? Like, yeah, I've used it yeah. before and they're usually not very, they don't work that well. They're, yeah, they're not that good and it runs Android OS like on top of that box and it's like, it's, I all I want you to do is switch inputs. That's it. You don't need to have apps built into that i already you know it's just a whole thing so if they could have you know maybe like a little elongated tic-tac shape apple tv that'd be sweet with like three or four hdmi inputs that would be a dream for all me. the way ten. Just, 10 10 inputs. 10 yeah whatever <laughs> i mean it already it's does enough. <laughs> uh it already controls you know my uh my sound bar and everything the only thing i ever have to use my tv remote for is switching inputs and that's the pain. What if they made an Apple TV soundbar? 
and it's like a yeah. sound bar. It's got multiple inputs. It's an Apple TV. It's never that would be great. Yeah, that the would... home bar, <laughs> the home bar. Yeah, the yeah. home bar. I mean, they they've got capacity because they canceled the home pod, so now they can just start making the home bar instead. I know. You know, that's not a bad point because I was talking to Dimitri earlier, and I said, "Man, I really want to get a second uh, home pod so I can do the stereo setup." But <laughs> you if better they make hurry the up. home bar perfect, I'm I'm golden. I don't even need one. So, Can they, they have stock, idea. right? Like if you wanted to buy a full-size HomePod, you could probably go buy one like at the Apple oh, yeah. store. I think the, yeah, I could. the black one is out of stock. It's the white one that's still in stock oh, interesting. at Apple. That's okay. Oh. I mean, I would have probably just bought one like secondhand because, yeah. you know, mine's – I got mine basically as soon as it came out and it works great. Mm-hmm. So, But, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's oh, a shame that the, it. that the HomePods were kind of – uh, been discontinued because something I always thought Apple should do uh, is make the Apple TV an ARC capable HDMI port, which yeah. means that the TV can output the sound to the Apple TV from mm. other inputs, and then the Apple TV can just stream that to mm. uh, the HomePods. Now, the part where that falls apart is if you've ever used uh, the HomePod theater setup uh, with your Apple TV, you'll notice there is a delay between uh, the HomePods playing and you interacting with. Uh, like playing pause and stuff like that like it's imperceptible when you're pressing a button uh, but it is perceptible enough where it's not streaming it at super low latencies um, Mm -hmm. like uh, a wii u would have been streaming its screen um, like wirelessly so it's it's no it's not a very low latency setup Uh, it has a few uh, fractions of a second of delay and that's plenty to really mess with audio um, in terms of uh, sync um, and what the Apple TV does is it delays the video to kind of keep all that going so you never notice. So it's not an issue on the Apple TV, but it would be an issue with other things connected. But if they kind of had a second revision of the HomePods and a second revision of the Apple TV, I could definitely see that um, as being a cool um, a, a cool setup. Um, now, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, Spencer, that like you can't use your Apple TV remote to kind of switch inputs and stuff like that. That's all like I use whenever I want to use the Apple TV. I just use the Apple TV remote. It wakes up the TV, switches inputs, and that kind of all works. If I want to use a switch, I just put my switch in. That switches the inputs uh, with yeah. CEC, and that kind of uh, just works. So I, I hardly ever need to use my TV remote. The only time is when the on-screen HUD for the volume kind of gets stuck, and then I need to hunt oh. for the TV remote to change the volume on the TV that I never use. So that way the HUD kind of refreshes and goes away. Um, but I, I otherwise never touch my TV remote, but the TV remote actually yeah. does control the Apple TV <laughs> through the CEC stuff, uh, which right. is kind of neat. Um, so th- that's all kind of cool how that's all put together. Now, as far as the remote, like if I were to redesign it, uh, I would keep the swipe functionality because I think that's actually a very convenient way to get around quickly on the TV. Like it's maddening pressing the, the arrow key 17 times to go left and right. Uh, sometimes and it's very convenient to be able to swipe what apple does need though is some guides on their little touch panel like just putting a circle around that with four little dots Mm -hmm. for the directional pad is often enough for your thumb to just search and feel like if like through simple heuristics apple take free ideas uh if if the (laughs) thumb comes from outside the touch pad to the inside don't register it as a swipe like right. just let the thumb feel around it can it can find where those four dots are and then it knows where to press because there's a lot of like secret commands on the Apple TV remote like if you 
press on the right edge, it will mm-hmm. skip 10, 10 seconds mm-hmm. forward. But is that right edge at the bottom of the touchpad or is it the middle? You have no idea if you're not looking at it. So just having like a little bit of a guide there uh, can be really useful. And having that little a circular ridge uh, will let your thumb know, oh, it's safe to kind of slide in from the outside and I'm not going to accidentally mess anything up. Um, and that can allow you to feel around. Um, and that combined with a less symmetric remote would probably make something that works really, really well. Alternatively, they can go the LG route where it just kind of becomes a wand that you can just mm-hmm. point to the TV yeah. um, and just select things. And that works quite well. Um, and I'm sure Apple can source better components to make it work even better. Um, so it's just a matter of them wanting to put the investment into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I forgot to mention, I would love to see them adopt... Um, and I, maybe this is going to be a little controversial. Controversial. Uh, I'd love to see them adopt mouse and keyboard support as well. There is keyboard support. Uh, yeah, okay, mouse support. Because now that the iPad is introducing iPad, uh, mouse support, uh, you've got, you know, things like games or um, remote, uh, you know, uh, like uh, VNC devices where you could sit at your TV and work off of your computer. I can see that being maybe a little bit of an edge case but at the point where they probably have a fair amount of the implementation done just with an ipad i think it would be cool to see that support uh, come over to tvos as well Well, especially considering that the apple tv as a product is priced at what two or three times yeah the price of the average sort of streaming stick Um, yeah so if you if you want to continue to justify i feel like you know at the time it probably premium price but it kind of made sense but like the more the apple tv has been a product and the more that it has i guess i should say the more that other products have kind of caught up to it as far as functionality i think it's going to be i think it'll be difficult for apple to uh, you know i say this and they're going to do the exact, this exact thing but um <laughs> to to announce a 2021 apple tv uh where it is essentially what they've already been selling maybe slightly improved in a few minor ways and charge that same 200 250 whatever they're charging for mm-hmm. the for the apple tv um and say like yeah you can go buy a what is it like 40 dollar fire stick but but like buy this other thing instead because it's much much better it's like well yes it is yeah. better in a variety of ways but like is it you know is it really yeah is it really I mean, right and i think it's more of a this is a computer for your tv might actually help like justify that price then then absolutely all it does is stream netflix right for example or even yeah i mean like the only reason i have oh sorry no no go for it sorry (laughs) i was just gonna say like that's a good point because the only reason i have a chromecast is because i already bought a 300 hundred dollar apple tv the chromecast was 50 dollars, and i needed it for my other tv so you know uh in a realistic sense if there is a reason a good you know reason to pay that right the chromecast does 4k it does hdr it mm-hmm. has streaming services built in so where are you going to differentiate yourself from that yeah. or you know and in many stuff? cases those streaming apps are shockingly similar in their implementations right i mean they they yeah oh yeah you know, they look almost exactly the same as their totally apple tv app versions i mean something apple could do also is turn the apple tv into an ios desktop stick an m1 or an a14x in there i mean the chip costs the same to them i mean they can just make a super low price point for a super uh limited device 
those that don't need a full-on computer to do full-on computer stuff and would prefer an iOS-like interface that's much simpler and easier to use, they could use that as their computer, whether it's connected yeah. to a TV, whether that's connected to just a monitor with a computer and mouse. That could be a really easy setup uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, um, and it could be a really price-conscious setup for many as well um, that don't need something more than that. Um, yeah. And that would that would justify a lot of uh, the points. Another yeah, way to make it work is to make it a gaming device. Mm-hmm. Like the, I'm sure the 814X is going to be no slouch. Include game controllers when you sell it, then it becomes viable as a gaming device because everyone will own the stuff that you need to game with it. Um, have either of you already played Apple Arcade? A game yeah. on the Apple TV using the the Siri remote like turn sideways like they tell you to do? Like yeah. half of one time. It's not is very it, good. Is it terrible? I've not done it. Yeah, it's just, it is just it's as terrible. terrible as you think. Okay. I mean, you can pair like an Xbox or a PS4 yeah. remote or a controller, right. and that's what I would do if but I you was have to, own to do that. But yeah, you exactly. Have to, yeah. Right. So if it, they include it, even if it's like, I don't know, it doesn't have to be that good. But even if it's like a somewhat half decent ish, maybe sort of remote or controller, it would yeah. be better than you know the. The they could just they is. could just buy steel case and then just start selling those controllers on Apple exactly. controllers. So or use your sure. iPhone or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, tactile buttons are nice though. I mean, you can use your iPhone as a as a through the remote app oh, as a true. little mini gaming controller That's for the point. Apple TV. But again, it's not it's the same problem as the Apple remote. It's it's not something where you can feel around with your thumbs and know where everything is. Right. Um, yeah. And that's where it kind of falls apart. It's an ergonomic mess. You know what else I want? This is never ever going to happen, but um, I want I want uh, TVOS to be more opinionated about how streaming apps are supposed to display playback controls because every single time I get into one of the you know six or eight different apps that we use for streaming various kinds of content, I have to remember which version of the on-screen controls does this app use, like YouTube versus. Versus playing something from the from like directly from Apple, like if you bought a, a season or something, or or Amazon or Hulu, they all work a little differently, and it drives me crazy. And and I I uh, so often I will like the HUD will come up right, and I'll be like, okay, I've figured out what I want to do. I'm gonna I want to dismiss the HUD. And in YouTube, you can actually hit I think it's the menu button, and it makes the uh-huh. HUD disappear. Yeah. On right. any other app, if you do that, it like kicks stop. It kicks you out of the app. It kicks you out of the <laughs> video that you're watching. That's like, oh, like I just I would yeah. love to be able to have a little. And I I realize that's a little you know from a developer perspective that's like that's a little heavy handed, right? That's like, hey, you we're going to dictate to you how you're supposed to do this. But on the which I you're which the as a developer, I'm kinda, you're allowed I to do that. <laughs> but like, yeah. but like Apple already does that in so many other ways, like sort of dictate to us as developers how we're supposed to do things. I think they should just, for the sanity of everyone, everyone who uses streaming apps on the Apple TV, I feel like it would be just so nice, so much nicer if they said like, "Hey, this is, these are the, maybe these are the buttons that you're supposed to support yeah. when it comes to like playback controls, so that it's, it's, it's mostly experience. the YouTube app. That, that's the one that has soiled it because they yeah. re-implemented yeah. everything from scratch, so you can get yeah. recommendations or something, right. um, and it's impossible to use. Like if yeah. you don't know how to use it. Um, and even if you do know how to use it, the minute you get used to that, like nothing else works the same. Um, right. so it's kind of a pointless, um, and then, like, endeavor. Why can't, why in the YouTube app is it so difficult to like, for example, 
click on a video, start watching it, or even like from the recommendation page, just say, hey, this looks interesting and I want to mark this for later. It's called watch later, right? There's a whole playlist you can set up for that. Yeah. Why can't you just do that from the now, like from the recommended? Or even if you play the video, then just like give me one quick button to tap to say like, I don't want to watch this right now, but I want to watch it later. If you, if you know how to do that, you have to like go into the HUD and then go over to this other thing, which when you start messing with the buttons on the HUD, it's, it actually pauses playback briefly, which is super annoying. And then you go into this thing and you say, okay, add to playlist. And then it like doesn't always pick watch later. Sometimes it picks one of your other. It's just – anyway, I could do a whole podcast <laughs> complaining about the YouTube interface. Yeah. Well, Google, you know, they can't, they can't make it platform specific. They can't make their UI match every other app they have to say oh no we're google right just look at you know the gmail app on your iphone and it looks nothing like i mean it looks like you're using an android device they just have to do that and yeah yeah i'm at the point where i refuse to use the youtube app i just airplay whenever Mm. i want to use youtube i mean it works far better than their app um and that's that's (laughs) a problem quite sad yeah that's very Um, sad on to other rumors uh there is a rumored homepod screen device um, I don't know what this is going to be called, uh, but it's essentially an iPad that's plugged into the wall. Um, oh, what the... is the the Echo? It's called the Echo Show, right? Is the version of the Echo that has the yeah, screen on it? Yeah, kind of. I think so. And then Facebook has one and Google right. has one. Um, I have not heard of this one. And people want one. Um, I would be, I'd be pretty surprised if they discontinued the HomePod as it was, and then in a couple months we see them unveil... Yeah. A HomePod that is basically like, like you said, like a small iPad with a speaker attached to it. I that just seems. What's annoying to me is they completely discontinued it. Why didn't they just? I don't know. Because they never feels made weird one com- since they started selling it. <laughs> they just made one batch. And yeah, did you hear that? that they never out. actually sold. They never produced more. They they produced their original. But they I think they did them. in 2018, but that that was probably the uh, last run. But if they still had them, why did they discontinue them and just not let them run out? And then I, I think don't know. they were running. If they out. had enough stock, <laughs> like they had no more black ones. <laughs> oh, that's so lame. But yeah, that's I don't. I don't. Though. I don't get the screen thing. Like I, I, I guess I understand as like maybe a kitchen device because yeah. it let it would let you like you know we use like we use an iPad to like look at recipes and stuff like that when we're cooking or whatever. So I could see how maybe having just a permanent sort of screen with a speaker in your kitchen could be useful and you could invoke, you know, Hey dingus, right? Like show me this recipe or whatever. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like if, if they were to make such a thing, it would be $500. Nobody's going to buy it because it's too expensive. And I don't know. It just, it seems it, whenever I saw the ones that the other companies brought out, right? Like I, I thought "Mm, this is kind of cool, but it's, uh, for one thing, creepy coming from these other companies. And also just seems like it's got very limited utility for the mm-hmm. price and stuff. And so I think my opinion is still the same. Like, I, even if Apple were to produce such a product, I don't think that that even necessarily the things they would bring to the table, right, would would fix, like, the product enough to make it something that people would actually want en masse. May as yeah. well make a dock for an iPad, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Give me I a mean, new hi-fi like, with an iPad dock, right? Like, yeah. done. I can see them, you know, it being a replacement to the HomePod in that, just like an Apple TV or a HomePod, it would be your HomeKit hub and everything like that. But at the same time, 
something with a screen I wouldn't use that way. If I'm going to turn on or off a HomeKit device, I'll yell, hey, whatever, mm-hmm. or use the phone that's already in my pocket with a screen right. to turn it on or off as well. So it's like <laughs> this weird middle ground that I don't really realistically see me walking over to it in my kitchen uh-huh. to turn something on or off as like a HomeKit hub per se. Right. You could probably yell at this one too, but then it's like, why do you have a screen in the first place? Other than, like you said, to show a YouTube video, a recipe, or something like that. But that's and like you never want one unless it... you're an Apple user, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if you're an Apple user, you already have your devices. Right. Um, but if you're not an Apple user, then it makes sense that they sell something like this because you don't have anything that's like it. Um, yeah, it's true. But as an Apple user, it makes less and less sense, especially for Apple right. to sell. Um, which is unfortunate. But if it did exist, like it'd be a great opportunity for developers, just another iPad kind of thing. Um, yeah. Maybe Siri is a, a bit more integrated in terms of like recipes and stuff like that, because that'd yeah. be a use case. Hopefully that they well, that they foresee. Maybe they don't. I mean, they're gonna have to that. make Siri a lot smarter to make that. <laughs> Especially considering that they took Siri out of the name of the remote. I feel like I don't know. They're trying to I, downplay it. <laughs> I un- I just don't understand how Siri is so far behind other voice assistants where. Alexa, sorry, anyone that's listening, uh, or the whatever Google's is, the assistant or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you can ask it or tell it to do something, and it just runs circles around Siri, and it's like, Apple, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, I even know. like... It seems on really my, weird to me. When I go in my bedroom, and it's it, if it's nighttime, I, I use my Apple Watch, because it's just what's handy, to activate the, the nightstand lights that we have in our bedroom. And so I, you know hold down the crown and I, and I wait for it to like click on my wrist. And then I'd say, you know, Hey, Dingus, turn on the bedroom lights. And then, and like, I'm already at this point, I'm on my way into the bedroom. Right. So like, I need these lights to come on soon. And so like, I'm, I'm right on the corner. I'm like walking into the bedroom and I'm like telling it to do it. And it, and usually what happens is that, is that she'll say something like, um, coming right up or working on that. Or she'll say something like that. Right. And then (laughs) I don't know five six seconds will go by and i oftentimes i'm headed for the closet to to like because i keep like my uh i have this like little bowl that has like all of my like my wallet and all that stuff in there right so like i'm usually like taking my wallet in my pocket and putting it away or whatever right at the end of the day and so like i'm walking through the bedroom into the into the bathroom into the closet and like usually i make it like most of the way to the closet and then she's finally like, okay, done. And then the lights come on. It's just like, well, that was that would have been helpful ten seconds ago, but now I bas- at this point I basically turned my the flashlight on my phone on to yeah. see what I'm looking at because you didn't turn the lights on. It's just like, and 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 <laughs> like they're HomeKit lights. I mean, it's as integrated as you can get. And I'm and I'm doing invoking it from my watch, and it's all on Wi-Fi. Like I just I don't understand why it's so terrible at this point i mean i'm not asking i don't think i'm asking for the moon here i'm just asking for like a thing that you claim to do to work and do it the way that you claim that it works you know in in the uh, sort of a lot of time um sometimes i foresee apple uh or i think that apple may have foreseen like antitrust issues with things like HomeKit and siri like very early on so they decided mm -hmm. to let's let others kind of take care of it when I mm. would have wished that Apple did not have a home kit, they just yeah. made all the devices. They made smart mm-hmm. plugs. They made smart switches. Yeah. And yeah. all of that would work so reliably, and mm-hmm. it would just be one integrated system. Um, yeah. And I would happily change everything over because 
oh, for yeah. the most part, Apple stuff works and it works forever. Like I'm still right. using AirPod Extremes, as you can see uh, behind me. I have three that are like scattered throughout my house and they work excellent. Like I'm, I'm getting over gigabit speeds for most of my devices that support it. Um, and that just works smoothly. Um, so like, it's a shame that they pulled out on a lot of this stuff. I think that they were probably seeing, uh, the writing on the wall and they wanted to yeah. avoid it as much as possible, but that kind of made it kind of like dead in the water in a way. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't think HomeKit ever really took off. Like no one cares about the secure, like having a secure home. They'll just convenience wins over all of that, mm -hmm. um, which is why no one's really kind of put a lot of energy into making HomeKit devices, and those that did, they're expensive, and they don't work yeah. that well. Um, right. And that, that's the problem. It can be expensive, but it has to work well, uh, yeah. and they don't, which is kind of a shame. It's a, it's a bummer. I mean, you know, myself, I don't want to go and buy Amazon smart devices just out of principle. Mm -hmm. I've bought HomeKit things, and yeah, they're almost always, you know, one and a half, two times more expensive. And yeah. that's kind of the price you pay. Um, I know that a while ago, maybe a year or so ago, uh, maybe less, uh, there was talk of, you know, Apple, Google, I, maybe Amazon as well, kind of collaborating on an open standard for uh, home devices, which would be awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you'd hope that with Apple being in there that it would still be secure and then you wouldn't have to worry about the prohibitively expensive devices as well i don't know i i think they're prohibitively just like expensive because you have to put the engineering effort to make them yeah. more secure Good. and not just thrown together yeah, or a relabeling of something that exists that someone else develops which frankly is a lot true. of what is on the market mm -hmm. yeah um so the home aside uh, there are also rumors of a new M1 IMAX, uh, even in the latest betas that just came out today. Uh, there are apparently two models of uh, IMAX that are set to be released soon-ish. I mean, why would they be in the beta if they're not coming out when the beta comes out, right? Um, or that's what I hope. Uh, I said in the past that I think the M1 is probably going to have two tiers associated with it. There's going to be the M1S, which is going to be like a speedier version of an M1 uh, for the devices that can warrant it. Uh, and then an M1X for an extensible uh, M1 for something mm -hmm. like a Mac Pro. Um, and that would all be part of the same kind of generation uh, or that year, like every year we get a new increment, I assume. Um, so maybe we'll be seeing M1S iMac soon. What do you two think? And in fun new colors, apparently, <laughs> at least according to that yeah. one where they were showing off anodized aluminum that looks like i think it's the latest they, they just use the latest generation of i think the uh, the uh ipad, iPad air colors mm -hmm. so like a mint green and a pink and a and a blue um i guess the same colors as like the the um the airpods max right uh most of those colors i don't love um <laughs> but it would be it would be cool just to be able to buy a mac computer in a color that is not silver or gray um, that would be fun. I almost, I have a, I have an M1 MacBook Air that I love and I almost pulled the trigger on a gold one and then I chickened out the last minute and ended up getting space gray because I just was like, I don't know. Like it's, it, cause I'm not actually a huge fan of gold as a color. 
Um, but I was like, but it's just so cool and different. Like it, I, it, it had me basically considering gold simply because it was different. Um, uh, I would, I would be all over like a product red MacBook Air or something. But, uh, but yeah, that, that would be kind of cool. And it's, it's showing. Um, again, these renders are just sort of rumored mock-ups, but but the idea would be that maybe it would go in the direction of sort of a Pro Display XDR shape, so less rounded, more boxy. Um, the stand probably would be a little bit different. Maybe the stand would be adjustable and more than just tilt, which would be pretty cool if you could actually adjust your iMac on its stand, right. uh, you know, like vertically or even yeah. like rotate it from sort of landscape to portrait or whatever. Um, that would be pretty cool. So I bought an iMac uh, in uh, like early fall last year, uh, a pretty high-end iMac for my main computer, which I love, uh, except that it exploded on me the other day because I did a routine, <laughs> I did a routine Bixer update uh, that wasn't even that big of a deal. It was like a minor point release, and it decided to just completely uh, explode and, and tell me that it like couldn't find the hard drive and was just totally borked, so I had to... Start all over. Um, but other than that, it's been a great computer. Um, and I don't really have a desire to upgrade to an M1-powered iMac at this point for that machine. I have the M1 MacBook Air. But um, but I'm, generally speaking, because of my experience with the, with the MacBook Air, I am, like, all in on this whole Apple Silicon conversion. Like, let's oh, do yeah. it. Like, let's convert every single thing in their lineup to running their chips. Um, at, you know, it's been... Super stable, nice and fast, no issues at all, uh, and not not even really any issues like running software, right? You think you'd think that with that there'd be this huge problem with half your software doesn't work because it doesn't it doesn't you know hasn't been written to run on it. But um, Rosetta two, I think, is what it's called, right? The newest Rosetta mm-hmm. works yes. flawlessly. I don't even notice whether I don't even know if some of these apps haven't been updated for Silic- Apple Silicon yet works fine no no real difference in the way that uh that it operates so i say bring on the m1 macbook imac and bring on the sort of m powered everything i, I think it's going to be great yeah it's it's kind of a shame that all the colors that apple is coming out with are all aluminum anodized colors mm-hmm. um because color doesn't work as well once you make it shiny like for instance right. my favorite color is orange uh as you might have been able to guess uh, through various hints, um, but I would never buy an orange laptop because the go- metallic version of orange is gold, and I don't like gold. <laughs> like right. that's yeah. that's that's something that I do not want. Um, but a glossy orange or a plasticky orange works totally fine. Um, so it's a shame that everything is kind of super metallic uh, nowadays because you're limited in terms of what colors do work well. Um, in that context, um, I, I always think back to the iPod line because Apple had so many colors with the iPod, uh, and I hope I would have hoped that they had learned from that uh, and they brought colors some more things. But they always kept it on the lower end models, like the iPhone 12, for instance. The normal iPhone 12 comes in a bunch of colors. The iPhone 12 Pro, not so much. Um, who would be willing to pay more for more color options? Maybe people that want all of the things, uh, but you're kind of not allowed, which is kind of silly at the same time. Um, so a ton of us got iPhone 12 non-pro just because we wanted a color option, um, which is a bit of a shame, honestly. 
yeah, I mean, to your point, uh, I will always, always go with, uh, you know, a, a silver and or white iPhone. That's that's my standard. Uh, as soon as they introduced a color, though, that I liked blue, I, I was that I was all over that that I mean, I would much prefer a color that I enjoy. Blue is my favorite color. And so I would always take a blue iPhone over any other color any day. So I think a lot of people would do that. Um, I, I feel like, you know, uh, and this was a little before my time. I remember them, but I was in grade school when they came out, the the plastic IMAX with different colors and everything. Mm, the OG IMAX. Yeah, I remember seeing those in schools, and I thought they were so cool because they were colored. I don't know how many were used in the professional workplace, but if they were, I think, you know, professionally we've gone to this very, like, sterile everything has mm-hmm. to be black and white very monochrome and i would love to see a little bit more you know color diversity in there just to you know why does your office all have to have the same color of computer you know why does that right. matter it would be awesome uh you know to have more colors i mean now they've got them on the new ipad air um they're kind of introducing color but i like next year like dimitri said i would love to see the pro model uh, iPhones have just as many colors as the non-pro. Like, who cares? It's probably not a huge issue to spit out a new color. I don't know how hard it is to paint. And iPhone pros are not being used in a pro setting. They're just, like, fancier iPhones. It's not like you have to... Like, why are the iPhone pro colors muted, right? They're They're less intense than the... Than the ones on the regular iPhone. Because you're not allowed to be a colorful human being, Ben. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and the funniest (laughs) part is I've wanted a red iPhone for a long time. And I've always... They've traditionally released the red iPhones like as a special edition way after they launched the new model. So by then, it's like, I already have the new iPhone. I'm not going to wait four months and then buy another iPhone just to get the red one. Um, and, And so this time around, right with the iPhone 12, I was finally able to order a red iPhone from the get-go, except that it's like a... It's, it's pinkish. It's red, gold. but it's like, yeah, it's like a p- salmon-y, pinky yeah. red. Like, it's like a, it's an opinion a red, with some, red with some milk added to it. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not like a vibrant, yeah. bright, like, really intense red. Like, the, I think yes. it's the iPhone 8, I think, that's the Project Red version of that one, um, was a yes, very cool, like, very strong red. Like, and even the red on the aluminum is actually very, like, cool and, and strong. Um, but the red on the glass is just this, like... I don't know. It, yeah. I bought it anyway. I was like, I'm, I'm buying a red iPhone. But I ended up putting it in a red leather um, Apple case because I was like, for one thing, super slippery. So even though the sides are better, uh, I still wanted that grip. But also I, I wanted it to be like red, red. So I, I ended up going with, with you know, regular red. So that would, yeah. what would be really cool is if they, if they did go in on the iMac with the colors, like don't, don't, be, don't be timid, Apple, right? Like make, make really strong, really vibrant colors. I think people would would eat that up yep so apple's listening to this and they're like this is why we don't do colors it's like ben's not happy with our red spencer's not happy with our blue dimitri's not happy with our orange it's like forget it Just white and black it's too hard and- can't please <laughs> no anyone. more colors okay and you know have have your dumb gray and space gray and you know whatever yeah. muted colors for those that want it but Don't i think a lot dumb, of people Spencer. would use colors <laughs> they're dumb <laughs> okay uh, so 
to finish up our uh, our recent rumors, uh, there's one last rumor, which is especially hilarious considering uh, what they've been doing, uh, and that yes. is Intel saying that they are open to manufacturing Apple Silicon chips. Uh, so for those that don't know, uh, Intel has been running an ad campaign that has been smearing uh, Apple, uh, and especially uh, the Apple laptops that do not feature Intel chips, uh, as much as they can, and dragging them through the dirt uh, and now they want they want to make friends and say let's make your chips too, using their own character against them. In fact, they're using Justin Long, the the actor yep. who portrayed the Mac in the original uh, Mac versus PC ads from the late two thousands that were really popular. They they hired uh, that actor to come in and do like I'm a PC ads where he's he's uh, he's sort of representing like what modern Intel based computers can do, Windows computers can do, um, and Basically, it seems like the bulk of their argument is that because lots of Windows laptops nowadays can flip their screen around and become a tablet, that that's, that's thanks to means... Intel, by the way. What's that? Yeah, that's thanks to Intel. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's they special, do that special little chip. things in the in mm-hmm. the chip. Yeah. Oh, and you don't have to use a dongle as well, except pretty much every computer on the planet uses also USB-C thanks to Intel at least once because right. they make also the chips they... to interact with of USB-C. Course. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Only Intel chips can use USB-C, of course. Well, and the funniest part is that is that they don't ever mention the fact that Macs have run on Intel for the last 15 years and have done so very well. Like, what about what about any of the things you talk about in this ad makes it makes the case that like this is something that's only possible on an Intel backed Windows yeah. PC. It's like, they didn't nothing. get to put their Intel sticker Intel inside yeah. on any of the Macs, so they're yeah. they're clearly mad about that. So yeah. fifteen yeah. years well, of angst. Well what they're clearly, clearly mad about is the fact that uh they lost a ton of money with Apple leaving. Oh yeah. There For was sure. I mean I thought Which, they were manu- uh, technically minor they haven't even left yet, right? Because the Mac Pro still <laughs> no, runs well, on Intel, right? Like it's sure. I'm sure Apple's still buying Intel chips, you know, yeah, at, yeah, at a much reduced capacity that they used to, but but they are still in the doing next it. few years. But yeah, they're going to lose so much money, right? Uh, not to mention the bad rep that they got from Apple chips overheating and everything, and then you bring out the M1 in a fanless MacBook Air that just absolutely crushes it. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure they're just like, oh, please come back. Uh, I miss you. Give me more money type and of I, thing. I don't know this for a fact, but I would I would be not at all surprised if the deal that Intel struck with Apple probably had better margins than the deal that Intel has with the hundreds of, of yeah, also-ran PC manufacturers yeah, who slap yeah. out PCs for 300 bucks, right? I bet you the, I bet you the margin on that is, is not nearly as good as it is on, on a $2,000 oh, yeah. MacBook as far as what Intel gets. Um, so yeah, I'm sure they are definitely licking their wounds on on the idea that I mean the thing is they're not they're not really competitive at all at all anymore. Like you know yeah. is it I think the Ryzen chips are starting to do really yeah. cool things in gaming. Nvidia has been has locked up the GPU market forever. Um, Apple is taking over the ARM based sort of part of of processor manufacturing and design. And so like what else? You know, and they—they're yeah, they, getting crushed on all sides. They tried to make a modem industry, which that didn't go anywhere. Um, so, like, it, they're, I'm sure they can see kind of the walls closing in on them, and and they realize, oh crap, we <laughs> we don't have much left to hang on to. Uh, so let's let's lash out at probably one of our most successful partners ever, <laughs> and then yeah. I I only saw this before before we started recording, just the the headline that like 
apparently Intel is now saying they want to help manufacture Apple Silicon, which uh, okay, like <laughs> this is a this is just who's so running their weird marketing timing. Like, there's, yeah, it's their PR so person needs to be fired because this is terrible timing. Well, no, their new CEO is the one that said that. The one said. that was all very, very anti, like kind of took a jab at Apple as soon as he sent a message out to his... Well, he's the uh, one that said something like, you know, we, we don't, uh, we're going to be way more important than some lifestyle, lifestyle company. Exactly. Cupertino, right? That same guy. He's the one that's now saying, hey, it'd be sweet to work <laughs> with you again. Like, come on. What a joke. Yeah, and Tim Cook's like, well, in the time that you that you guys started up this silly campaign, we've we've literally built a new fab that we're going to go ahead and just uh, crank out more of our chips. We don't need your we don't need your help, right? Your second rate help at this point. We've we've got it we've got it covered. And not to mention that when Apple came out with and showed off their Apple Silicon chips, they didn't really name Intel as the other chip. They right. they were. Yeah, they were pretty polite about it. Not, yeah. They were very polite about it. To not just throw them under the bus that would yeah. become the M1 uh, that would then run over and kind of right. destroy the competition in many key ways. And the only way it's not winning is with the very high performance, high CPU wattage chips right. that Apple's not making. Uh, they're making yep. low, low wattage chips that hardly consume anything. And they're competing with the high power chips. Which... We would tell you that this brand new entry level first crack at it kind of desktop quality <laughs> chip is totally smoking the competition, which includes Intel, our former biggest partner. But we're going to be polite about it and say that it's whatever they said on the graph, like other manufacturers, or they they, they yeah. had some very polite euphemism that was basically meant Intel, but but they were being polite about it. And I think I think that uh, probably if Apple were you know the next time we see somebody get on stage at an Apple event and they talk about uh, the performance of their m series chips i probably gonna mention how much faster it is than intel they'll be less polite i think (laughs) yeah and with good reason yeah it's never a good look when you start flip-flop flip-flopping on things like like intel has Uh, it's just like okay good luck dude right okay so this week's episode is brought to you by hungry so hungry that's hungry with three u's is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it about all your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator invoked by shaking your phone in frustration to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, or something closer, or simply another option are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's Hungry, H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y, on the App Store today to give it a try. Uh, So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error a segment where I get to test my fellow completionist knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, So a bit of story time. We were supposed to record yesterday, but I was having uh, some severe internet weather. Uh, So I wanted to make a compiler error all about like packet loss and stuff like that. Uh, Then I got way more interested in undersea cabling. So that's what today's um, theme is, undersea cabling. Uh, So let's bring that up. 
And let's start with uh, statement number one. A colony of electric eels was responsible in 2013 for disturbing the operation of fiber optic cabling, resulting in significant packet loss to the islands of French Polynesia. Statement number two. In 2014, a security camera revealed that sharks were biting undersea fiber optic cabling, presumably attracted to the magnetic field emitted by the high voltage power required for optical repeaters. Statement number three. An undersea cable is technically referred to as a submarine communications cable, and unlike the name implies, has little to do with submarines, but the cables were used as early as in 1850s with the telegraph. And statement number four, it took more than a year to construct and install the MAREA cable, a 4,000 mile cable connecting Spain to the United States that can transmit up to 200 terabits per second. So those are four statements for today. Um, Ben, why don't you go first? Oh, boy. Uh, so I do know, I, I have heard that op- that the sort of underwater cables do tend to be sometimes disturbed by wildlife and stuff. Um, so I could really believe both of the first, you know, the two of them, the one about the eels disturbing uh, the cabling, uh, and then also the sharks being attracted to magnetic field um, because of the power required for the optical repeaters. So I'm just going to kind of assume that those are both true since there's only one falsehood in these, of these four, they both seem plausible. So I'm going to move on. Um, third one uh, talking about how it's called a submarine communications cable. Um, again, seems plausible. I also feel like I remember at some point hearing about how uh, it is the case that, We've been using underwater cables like this for a very long time, including all the way back to before computers, like when we had telephone lines and even the telegraph. Um, so that, that makes sense. I don't know if the 1850s is is too far back or not, but it seems plausible. So the last one took more than a year to construct the, the Maria cable, I guess is probably how you'd pronounce that. Uh, a 4,000-mile cable connecting Spain to the United States that can translate to 200 terabits per second. So I feel like if that's wrong, it's probably the case that it's wrong about one of the numbers <laughs> he's been that Dimitri's being tricky and like saying well like yeah it is a real cable but it was you know 100, 150 terabits per second 98 yeah something like that second. uh he we we accuse him of that all the time he doesn't actually do that that often but he hasn't we, done that in so long I but know. we do accuse him of it all the time <laughs> Could uh, <happen> anytime. <laughs> so uh, i don't know um hmm the first two just seem very, they're very similar. So it's either the case that they're both true, right? Or that one of them is false and you're trying to like throw us off the scent, right? Because again, it seems plausible that that would happen, but is it true that both those, both of these things happened? I'm, I'm at this There's point, a lot of fish in the sea, my friend. Yeah. I mean, at this point I'm just, I'm just <laughs> arguing myself into a circle, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making any, I'm not making any, uh, any pronouncements or any definitive, uh, you know, I'm not deciding on anything. Oh boy, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say number three because I feel like 1850 is a little I don't know the telegraph is very old. Uh, whatever. I'm number three. I'm gonna say number three because I think the date might be wrong, but but I these are probably famous last words. Spencer. Yeah. Um, to be honest, all of these sound like fairly legitimate things um nothing really sticks out to me as like oh that that's the one 
Um, I think the biggest thing for me, well, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's either one or two. Uh, I'm just trying to kind of decide which one. Um, I'm sure that there is definitely disturbances, but I feel like a lot of that would have been hopefully thought of and mitigated. You would hope. You would hope. Um. I kind of feel like number two, where they're actually biting the cabling, is maybe a little bit of a stretch where I can maybe see electric eels somehow disturbing things. Um, so I'll go with number two. Okay. Uh, so let's take these in reverse order. So number four, it took more than a year to construct and install the MAREA cable, a 4,000-mile cable separating Spain and the United States. Um, and you both uh, believe this one to be a code completion, and it is a code completion. Um, and they were especially proud of this. So this was uh, a joint production between, I think, Microsoft and uh, a Spanish telecom operator. Uh, and they completed it in a third of the amount of time. So it typically takes... Uh, quite a few years to actually have the boat go across one of either the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean, um, and they essentially have a giant spool of cable, it's quite thick, um, and they lay it down little by little, um, and they're out at sea for quite a long time um, as they kind of lay the cable. Um, and it, it this one took them just over a year, like a year and a month to kind of put together, um, and uh, it was the highest capacity cable. Like they didn't know it would be able to support 200 terabits per second. It was around 160 originally. Um, but once they tested it, they were pleasantly surprised that newer algorithms that have been since developed uh, worked perfectly for kind of uh, getting the most out of that. Um, so uh, that one is true. So going up, uh, so number three, an undersea cable is technically referred as a submarine communications cable. Uh, and uh, Ben believes this one uh, to be the compiler error. Um, and he is most hesitant about the date, uh, but uh, this is a code completion because the telegraph uh, was starting to be used uh, for intercontinental communication back in the 1850s. Um, and it was like towards the very end that they actually completed it. Um, and since then they've been using these cables mostly for uh, telecommunication. Um, they they would use hmm. copper cables. They didn't have fiber optic yet, um, but that worked just fine uh, for the most part. Um, and they are referred to as submarine communications cables. And when I first read that, I was like, oh, this would be a perfect... Like, I, I didn't read the rest. I was like, oh, so I guess these were used for, like, submarine terminals to actually communicate back, uh, like, via the submarine. But no, it has nothing to do with submarines. <laughs> um, and it has everything to do with it being submarine yeah. uh, so it's just Underwater, located right. be beneath water so that's where the naming comes from just like the submarine um so sorry about that ben uh going on to number two so in 2014 a security camera revealed that sharks were biting undersea fiber optic cabling um and they were attracted to the magnetic field emitted by the high voltage power lines that were needed for the optic uh repeaters so these are needed roughly every 100 kilometers uh, to kind of keep the cable going because light can only go so far on a skinny little uh, fiber optic cable before um, losing or kind of getting out of phase with itself. Um, so it get blurry and it wouldn't be as crisp. So you can't transmit as much data uh, reliably. Um, so Spencer, you believe this one to be the compiler error. 
Um, yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> uh, it is a code completion uh, because oh my they only knew about this because security cameras caught the sharks actually gnawing on the cables, uh, thinking wow. it was a little fish um, when it was just high voltage uh, cabling under lots of rubber. Um, so they were able to detect that, and they were eating away at those cables. So they, they Google, uh, had to put Kevlar reinforcement on top of those cables, so that way they would stop. <laughs> All right, being, there you go. Well, stop nice. being bitten. So they've learned since 2014. I believe they use this for all the new cables. There's actually uh, a map that you can look up for all the submarine uh, optical cabling, um, and that's actually a big security concern because it's all public. Uh, and the reason it's public is because you don't want people dropping their anchors on these cables, um, right. because that yeah. causes, uh, as you can imagine, uh, putting a new cable so uh, lots bad. of years <laughs> to kind of yeah. put it back. Uh, so you don't want people ruining these by accident. So just like satellites, you you tell everyone where you put them. You don't have to tell them what it's used for, but you tell them that you put them there. Uh, so that way people don't uh, crash into them by accident. Uh, and all this means uh, that number one is the compiler error. So there's no such things as electric eels distorting the connection of undersea cabling, which is all fiber. So why would a little electric phenomena the optical mess. repeaters the optical repeaters they they, <laughs> they shut down and restart uh because of the, the team of electric eels but this is based on a little bit of reality so there are copper cabling for power usually for offshore windmills uh not windmills wind turbines uh and they did do a study to see if this cabling impacted various different uh, wildlife and it did indeed cause um, uh, electric eels to migrate more slowly along the cable uh, than they would have otherwise because they do detect the high voltage power that is going through um, and that did distract them quite a bit hmm. um, but that was pretty much all all it did so uh, something loosely based on electric eels but that was mostly me uh, completely fabricating up <laughs> something unless there is a story out there about electric eels uh, messing around with French Polynesia in the twenty in twenty thirteen, I didn't find it. Um, but yeah, so that has been our compiler error for today. So foiled better luck, again. Better mm-hmm. luck next time. Yeah. Um, so as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. Uh, and be sure to check out codecompletion.io slash join the club so that we can join our new little community that we're putting together. Uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Ben, who is at Guy. that's F-E-R-R-O-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter, and Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunil. that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. See you next time. Bye.